This is episode 35 of Tegan Goes Vegan. I'm your host, Tegan Karuna. Before I talk about this week's guest, I want to remind you guys that I'm going to be doing my live show on August 28th at 3 p.m. at Tattooed Mom as part of the Philadelphia Podcast Festival. You can learn more about the festival at phillypodfest.com and on my Tegan Goes Vegan Facebook page. You know how to look for stuff on Facebook. Just search for the name of the show. And on Twitter at Tegan Goes Vegan, I'll have information on all of these. We're going to be doing a panel discussion. It's not really going to be a discussion. It's going to be a panel debate about the best vegan cheeses and ice creams. We're going to be taste testing everything. Everyone in the audience will get to taste test as well. And it's going to be a lot of fun. It is not going to be the standard interview that you guys are used to. It's going to be a little bit different. And I decided to do this because, well, one, there's lots of vegan ice cream out there that is really good and people have strong feelings about it. But two, one of the recurring themes in the show is vegan cheese and which vegan cheese people like. So I figure we'll just settle it for once and for all and decide which one is the best and be done with it. And then nobody has to talk about it ever again, which... Come on, that's definitely not going to happen. So there's more information about that and who is on the panel and what exactly we're going to be taste testing will be on the Facebook page and a link to it will be on Twitter. I'm not going to probably go into all of that on Twitter. Along the same lines, if you enjoy the show and you want to make sure that other people find it, hop on over to iTunes and give it a rating or a review. Let people know what you think. It takes just a couple seconds of your time, but it means the world to me. It helps me remember that there are people out there who are listening, who are enjoying the conversations that I'm having. This week, I spoke with Alex Bove, who is a really cool guy. He actually was on another podcast that is produced by a Karuna. Um, He was a guest on Sex with Timory, which is a sex and sexuality podcast that is hosted by Timory Schmidt and produced by my husband, Nathan Karuna. If you're interested in that kind of stuff, you guys should definitely check that out. That's a free plug for Sex with Timory. It's a great show. Alex was a guest on Sex with Timory, and it came up in his interview that he is vegan, and clearly then he had to be on my show. So he came back to the studio and talked with me about his vegan journey, and in particular, masculinity and how traditional ideas of masculinity keep men from thinking that they can even become vegan. And then also that those traditional ideas kind of put pressure on vegan men that vegan women don't experience. And it was just, it it was a really interesting conversation. I, I really appreciated his insights on, on all of this kind of stuff, because I think that most of us know that being vegan is generally considered I mean, it's considered a white female thing, but it is definitely considered a female thing as well. And, you know, just female, that that kind of empathy and caring for animals is is a girl thing or whatever, you know, and and that's that's so not true. It doesn't have to be that way. And Alex has thought a lot about this and has really spent time understanding what masculinity means in American culture and how that impacts men's interest in being and staying vegan. We also, of course, talk a little bit about vegan cheese. And we also talk about vegan condoms, which I didn't realize was a thing that we needed to think about. I just didn't realize that that was an issue. Some condoms are not vegan. So that's something to think about. I'm going to say 
that until you find vegan condoms that work, if you use condoms as either contraception or as a way to not get STIs, um, please continue to use the non-vegan condoms until you get your hands on some vegan condoms. I guess what I'm saying is it's probably not uh, practical to just stop using condoms until you can find vegan condoms. If this is something that is really speaking to your heart, get the vegan condoms first. Don't have unprotected sex just because your condoms aren't vegan. Order some vegan condoms online, get those, and then start using them. That's just that's just my PSA. Please don't please don't do that. <laughs> it's not a not a great idea to to go condomless just because they're not vegan. Just order them online, guys. We all know how to use Amazon. So Alex and I had this great kind of meandering conversation where we talk about all kinds of stuff. And so I think that you will learn a lot because I definitely did. So here he is, Alex Bove. How did you become vegan? Uh, wow. Um, you know, it, it was it was 2000 was when I became vegan, so 16 years, and I was ovo lacto vegetarian for a year, maybe a little more than a year. Not too much. I mean, it didn't take me long. So I, I, I originally thought, oh, I'll be vegetarian. And a little bit of reading, I think, makes you realize that Gary Francione says there's more cruelty in a uh, gallon of milk than a pound of beef or something like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I did it for really animal rights reasons. Um, for personal reasons, I never really liked meat in terms of, I mean, I think, well, I, I, I will admit I like the taste of it, but I always found it kind of gross and I could never really do that cognitive dissonance of this is not an animal that I'm eating. Like I was always aware that it was an animal that I was eating and I always felt awkward about it, but I just didn't think that there was any other way to be. I grew up in a family where, you know, nothing, there wasn't a vegetarian, you know, and so I really didn't see any way to be anything other than I was. And then I moved to Philadelphia for grad school and I started to sort of cook my own food. And that made me even less comfortable with mm -hmm. meat and handling meat and dealing with meat and going to the market where there was meat. Um, and then I started uh, dating Annalisa and going to her place to eat and they, they weren't vegetarians but they had like these amazing pasta meals and salads like i was i can enjoy salad you know <laughs> um and just cooking various dishes that were more vegetarian incidentally vegetarian well again no one was intentionally being that um and i lived near de bruno i lived in the in south philly near de bruno's and again, at the time, I got super into cheese mm -hmm. and I was like, you know, I don't need meat. Um, so I became ovalacto. And then about a year later, um, I just decided I couldn't even do that anymore. And I became vegan. And it was like, you know, some people describe quitting smoking. I mean, it was cold turkey. Like I just one day I was vegetarian. Next day I was vegan and I never looked back. It's always heartening to me. Like a lot of people go through the gradual process but I also did an overnight thing. I went from like full on omnivore to vegan diet like mm. overnight. Um, and sometimes I feel a little bit alone 
that I feel like I was the only one who did that. So it's really nice to hear that from you. Well, and, and it's funny cause Annalisa, um, uh, uh, didn't, she was a little more incremental. So we sort of, I was just joking with her about this today cause I knew I was coming here and I was like, I'm going to mention you on the podcast. And <laughs> she said, and I, and I said, you know, and she said, well, you should, we went, <laughs> you know, we went vegan together and well, I then, said, well, we kind of went vegan together, but you know, I kind of went, and she was, no, she was like, well, we, we, we kind of did it at the same time. I was just, I needed a little bit of, you know, there were, there were a couple of things like she really, really loved cheese. And so, I mean, and she did, you know, the, the due diligence, the wonderful thing of sort of she she actually and this was again 2000, right? She ordered this like $15 a pound cheese from Vermont that was like, you know, farm um, uh, animals that that weren't in factories and all that other kind of stuff. And like she just did everything she could to sort of be as ethical as she could um, for just a little while. And then I mean, it didn't take long. I, I joke. I, I tease her about it, but it was. <laughs> I mean, it was maybe like a month or two. Oh, wow. Okay, know, that's pretty. Maybe. In the grand scheme of life, that's pretty quick. But it was so funny because, you know, we had planned our commitment ceremony and I actually couldn't have the cake at my commitment ceremony mm. because when we planned it, we were still vegetarian and then mm-hmm. I'd become vegan, you mm-hmm. know, in the meantime. So that just, that kind of shows yeah. you the window of time yeah i i did the same thing i became vegan while i was engaged and then had to deal with my wedding as well um it's it's maybe when you're planning a major event that's kind of an inconvenient time to make major (laughs) dietary changes yeah um what did you do i mean what did you do so did your family pressure you about like no my family had meat to the guests my family had nothing to Without going into my entire family history, oh, there was very sorry. little family pressure. Okay. Um, and so what we ended up doing was um, I actually cooked almost all of the food for the wedding because mm-hmm. I have a background in catering. Um, so everything at the wedding was vegan except for I really wanted a barbecue. So like everything was vegan except for burgers um, and cheesecake, which is my mother-in-law's specialty and that was our wedding cake so same kind of deal there were like a couple things that i was like "Eh, no but because i made everything else it was entirely vegan um no that's that's not true there was cheese for the in the cocktail hour Mm -hmm. there was one other (laughs) there was one other vegan there and i said to him if it looks like it could be vegan then it is if it looks like an animal product then it's not that's what i can promise you So yeah. it was it was not a vegan wedding, but it was as close as I could reasonably get considering the time frame. Yeah. Um, yeah, we had I mean, we didn't I'm trying to remember. I don't think we had meat, but because we had we were already vegetarian, but we had ravioli and eggplant parmesan and they gave me a piece with no cheese on it. Perfect. Um, which was great. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You know, you you do what you can do. You have to be adaptable, especially as you're making these changes like as you are going through the process of figuring out what's gonna what's right for you sometimes you have to you know you get stuck with eggplant parmesan with no cheese and that's about it and well especially especially in 2000 yeah i mean because so 2000 i was just thinking about this you know 2000 it was there i don't think there was a vegan cheese that was widely available follow your heart came pretty close to that but 
I don't even think Follow Your Heart was out. Like, I think there were, everything had Cassian. I think every mm. single vegan, you know, vegetarian cheese. I'm pretty Which, sure. Can we talk about that for a second? Do you know <laughs> why that is? Because that, there is like nothing more infuriating than seeing like veggie cheese. What is the brand? There's the one brand. Which one? The one that's like by the tofu in Acme, in like the grocery store. Uh, uh Well, of, of, of cheese? Yeah. I mean, of like. Day is not in the regular grocery store. No, like there's um. There's follow your heart. There's oh, you mean the ve- oh the ones that the are one oh, that's like veggie has, life or something? Yeah, or something veggie, like that. Yeah, something. veggie slices. Yeah, it says veggie slices, but they're but they're, they have casein. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know why that is? Like why they're in that? I, why I they really, use I mean, it? I don't know. For, I mean, I I can't. You know, I'm not a food scientist, <laughs> but my my understanding is that I mean, there's something in the in that uh, protein that is necessary for mostly for melting and for some mm. of the it's a lot it's mostly the texture i think of, oh, okay. of, of cheeses yeah. and maybe a little bit of flavor but i think it's almost all because you know the newer ones are all about how they melt right right you know because follow your heart and by the way i don't want to i'm not going to bash them i mean i think they make great products the veganaise is amazing but the follow your heart cheese just doesn't melt it tastes fine mm-hmm. it just doesn't melt right you know, teas was the first cheese that I remember that actually melted. Um, and for whatever reason, it just wasn't a huge hit here. Um, it comes in like tube, like yeah. plastic tubes, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Chicago Land Soy Dairy. Yep. Look at you. You know all your cheese. Did you try them all like yeah. as they came yeah. out? Well, and as they can, and because they were revolutionary. I mean, right. teas was like the best thing for right. years until probably until Daya, I guess. So know. where do you land now on the cheese? Where, where's your favorite cheese? Uh, I mean, so I haven't tried a lot of the, the bougie, really expensive ones lately, but I hear really good things about Mi- Miyamoto. Or Miyoko. Miy- Miyoko. Yeah. And then there's a there's a tree, one with tree in the name. Isn't there one? Tree something, line? Something like that. Something like that. Yeah. I've heard great things. I like Dea. I mean, for pizza, I think Dea is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I like their mac and cheese. Um, for for sort of eating and slicing or sort or sandwich type cheese, I like chow. Chow's oh really yeah, good. that is good. Yeah, chow's yeah. really good. Yeah. So I was not a big cheese person before, so I don't actually find some of the like the like Miyoko's cheese is like a little too much for me. Like it's very savory and and cheesy, and I'm kind mm. of a little off put by how like it's just so very cheesy to me. It's kind of. Uh, I've had some of them and I've been like, oh, okay, I, I get it. I'm just going to feed this to like all of my omnivore friends and they will love it. And they have. So that's been nice. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the, if they can develop some really good dry cheeses. So my favorite cheese was Asiago. Mm. And I mean, the dryness and the robustness of Asiago, I, I haven't tasted anything like it in vegan cheese. And I'm sure there's got to be a way to do it, but no one I know has done it yet. In um, so Miyoko, who makes now makes like mass market cheese, has a bunch of cookbooks. One is about specifically cheese, and then the one that I have is like a pantry cookbook. Huh. And she goes through and she's like, "Here's how you can make like chocolate cake mix, and here's four recipes for different things you can do with it, and here's ketchup and all you know, all this kind of crazy stuff." And one of the things that she has is a macadamia nut based parmesan 
So you may want to look into that because you may be able to do a little bit of adjustment to get it a little bit more Asiago-y. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. Yeah, I got one of those cheese cookbooks and they wanted me to make rejuvelac. And yep, I said, that's, that's this. I said, nah, yeah. I don't think I have two weeks to make rejuvelac. Oh, in the <laughs> summer? I made it last summer. In the summer, it was like 24 hours because it's so hot. Oh. Yeah, without central air. Was it Was it good? I mean, did it? Yeah, I mean, it tasted tangy. It was like not for me because, again, I was like not big on cheese before. Okay. So okay. I wasn't I wasn't dying for that flavor. Um but yeah, I mean, it it tastes like lactic acid for sure. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I guess I'll, maybe I'll try it. It's just like throw some quinoa in a jar for a day. Okay. There you go. I just feel, I also feel guilty about the the, 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 the grain that you start with. Feel, I feel like you have to throw it out and I don't like throwing, I, I don't like throwing food out. I have this very deep seated, like not ever wasting food mm-hmm. kind of thing. So I would have to find a way to reclaim that food. I don't know if it's I think you can sprout to, it. Okay. Like I think it's it's basic now. Now I'm just like going on my own. You know, this is based on making rejuvelac one time a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically the same process as sprouting. So oh. you, with more water, so you could pour off the rejuvelac and then you could sprout like the quinoa or the rice or whatever it is that you're using. And then you have. Sp- Can you sprout rice? Can you eat sprouted rice? I I don't know. I I feel like if you can sprout it, someone's tried. To you can eat, eat it. it. <laughs> <laughs> if it sprouts, eat it. Yeah. Oh man. That so really cool. So this has been cheese talk. Yeah, I know. Um, Sorry. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> Tegan goes cheesy. Cheesy. <laughs> oh boy. Ugh. But that's the cheese. thing. But vegan cheese is like a big. I mean, anytime you get with ve- two vegans together, you're gonna probably have a conversation about cheese. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's one of the it's one of the last foods that a lot of people are able to give up, and mm. then. There's been, especially in the last couple of years, there's been so much change in the cheese, vegan cheese market that there's always something new to talk about. Um, And, you know, and that's a perspective that I don't have being a new vegan. Like I wasn't paying attention until two years ago. Um, But now there's things, you know, there's like the veg, is it veg? Is that what the follow your heart scrambled egg Mm. thing? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's like that. There's beyond meat there's all these other things like there's so much like innovation in that plant-based yeah food space there's a lot always yeah. a lot to be and like almost everything's been solved i mean the the vegan non-dairy desserts are really great the all the these vegan these new guardian meats and stuff these new vegan meats are really good i mean it's been 16 years since i've had meat but i mean i i hear from people who still eat meat mm-hmm. and but cheese is still kind of that like oh we can't. Yeah. It's the one thing people taste it and they're just like, oh, I don't want that, you know. Yeah. So it is. I, I guess it's also kind of important. Like if 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 we and I don't think we all need to be, you know, evangelists. But if we're if we want other people to be vegan, we, you know, we die and we don't want to force them to be vegan. We want to entice them. Right. Uh, we, you know, we need to be able to say legitimately like this tastes really good, mm-hmm. not because for a while it was like, oh, no, this vegan cheese is delicious. And then someone would eat an omnivore would eat it and be like, what are you crazy? Yeah, like, it's yeah. been too long since you've had yeah. cheese. You <laughs> yeah. know? Um, but now, I mean, I know I know many omnivores who, you know, I won't say they prefer vegan foods, but they I have seen them sample a lot of different vegan foods and come away saying, wow, I mean, this is really I would definitely eat this again. Yeah, I, I've mentioned a number of times that like over the course of the podcast that I have really amazing friends who are all like on board with eating vegan food. And, and I recently was in New York with my husband and my friend um, and we were trying to go to buy Chloe. 
which is like that like vegan fast food restaurant mm-hmm. the line was insane and i was like i don't i don't like wait in line for food there's like a, some weird psychological thing where i'm like i'm not just like standing in a line for a stupid hamburger that's so what a waste of time mm-hmm. um so we walked like one block away and found this amazing vegan restaurant and we all I was the only vegan and we were all just like, everything is so amazing. Like, and they were both just as excited by the food. It wasn't like good for vegan food. It was like just good food. And, and that, I mean, you're right. It's about enticing people. It's about saying like, this is not a lifestyle of deprivation. This is a lifestyle that you can feel good about emotionally, ethically, physically, and have just as vibrant a life as more probably than when you were eating when you were consuming animal products of all different kinds yeah i mean my approach to veganism has always been you know uh to lead by example you know to just show people that i can dress nicely i can you know eat wonderfully and and you're right absolutely i mean this there's there's a there's a real stereotype of vegans that were eating tree bark or something you know but it's like only cinnamon it's the only (laughs) tree bark we're eating ah yeah right right unless it's ceylon cinnamon in which case you know or no i guess that's still sort of the same thing i don't know i know there's well there's so there's some big thing about uh uh cassia Oh yeah, there's fake cinnamon. Yeah, yeah. A lot I think of the cinnamon that people think of as cinnamon is actually cassia or something. Yeah, if it tastes or... bitter, I think then you know that it's fake. But it's still, I think, tree bark. Okay, yeah, as opposed to Ceylon. But you know, but anyway, then that we can, you know, I can, we can be healthy. We can sort of enjoy life. We can, you know, we're not. There's a stereotype that we're, you know, we're reading all the labels and we're we're, we're painting the butt in the restaurant. And it's like, well. We are careful and, you know, sometimes that slows things down a little bit. And and sometimes, yeah, it sometimes it sucks to be vegan when you're someplace that there's no options or, you know, not a lot of tolerance or mm-hmm. not a lot of understanding. Like you'll tell them you're vegan. Like um, I won't name the restaurant, but there's a restaurant in Philadelphia where uh, I went to with a um, with a vegan friend of mine um, and had ramen noodles and several times and then i don't like where like the story's the, going yeah like the fifth time we went there we said we wanted the vegan sushi or something and we wanted ramen and and the waiter said oh well we'll bring you the vegan ramen noodles oh no and so the whole time we'd been ordering the vegan sushi and the ramen with the vegan broth Thinking, well, of course, the whole thing's vegan. Why would they? Why would they do the vegan? Why would they even have vegan broth and not non-vegan noodles? You know, so they we we had not been having vegan noodles for. So, what was your reaction? Like, what did you do in that moment? And like, how did you feel about like the whole experience? You know, I think a lot of people would take that on themselves and say, you know, I've I've done something terrible, or they would say like. This was not, this was out of my hands. I thought I was doing the best I could, you know, like where, what, what was like your personal reaction? Yeah, I think the latter, you know, I, I, I think so when I first became vegan, you know, one of the few books out there was the vegan source book by Joanne Stepaniak. And I think I'm saying her last name correctly, but she's, she's done a bunch of vegan cookbooks and a bunch of, you know, vegan books. And she was kind of my vegan role model. Mm. And, you know, she was very much of the mind that, you know, we don't live in a vegan world and 
there are going to be times when uh, we make choices that are the best choice, the most ethical choice, and we intention, we try our best to sort of do something, and something happens that's not vegan, and there's really no way to, you know, there's really no way to control it. Um, I mean, she also her stance, which I think. It, is fair is you know for example you might be doing a hobby like like if like 15 or 20 years ago if you wanted to get into ballroom dancing or you wanted to do some kind of competitive if you're if your daughter wanted to do a competitive um dancing or a competitive sport and you had to buy shoes or you had to buy equipment there may li- or you know hor- i don't know well horseback riding is a bad example because yeah, yeah. that might not be vegan anyway but like some other gymnastics kind of thing. i think has some leather involved yeah. yeah and so and there might and 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 at a time in history there literally might not have been a non-vegan choice like there literally may have been like this is leather and that's all you have mm-hmm. that's your only choice and joanne stepaniak i mean i may be misquoting her but i think this is her was her was her stance was that well, you know, we have to accept that we live in a non-vegan world. Sometimes we have to, sometimes we make choices that are good for us in other ways that require us to participate in non, in the non-vegan world in ways that we, we're not happy about, but we can't beat ourselves up too much over it because what are we supposed to do? You know, make our own baseball glove? Like, you know, we, we just... Not um, play baseball, right? If you love playing baseball, right. right? Right. And 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 by the way, having said all that, it's not. Um, so I use this example a lot, and I use this example once, and somebody got really mad at me because they're like, "You vegans are so self righteous. You're comparing yourself to Gandhi." So oh I'm going to quote Gandhi, okay? But I'm not comparing Everyone myself buckle to up. Gandhi. You know, I, I'm not comparing myself to Gandhi, but I thought Gandhi well, was very Ga- instructive. Well, and let's be clear. Gandhi was not as great as we think he was. There were a lot of problems with Gandhi too. So sure. like, let's, let's, he was a person. He was sure. not, he's not a fictional character. Sure. Yeah. Um, but anyway, but, but he was asked about um, what do you do if a tiger is trying to eat your baby or, you know, your, your spouse or something? He's like, what do you do? You know, do you, do you practice nonviolence if a tiger is trying to eat your baby? And what he said, and this has always stuck with me, what he said was, there may be times when violence is inevitable. Very few. Like Gandhi believed there were almost none. But in a case like a lion or a tiger is about to eat your baby, you can't reason with the tiger. You can't, you know, you and maybe you can just snatch the baby away, but there may literally be a situation where you have to kill that tiger. You just may. He said, however, it doesn't cease to be violence. It's not nonviolent if you kill the tiger. And so that's the way I think about some of these um, Sisyphean choices that we might have as vegans. You know, it's not I'm not saying it's vegan for me to buy a leather baseball glove. However, I may as a vegan feel that my only option is to buy that or well, not feel that. I mean, it may be that my only option is that and I may choose to still identify as a vegan making that choice because there is no other alternative. I think if there really is no other alternative. But that's rare. It, it is, especially now. Yeah. yeah. Now that we have so many options, it is it is a, a rare situation where you can't choose something that is vegan. Yeah. And, and incidentally, I mean, for myself, I think I would probably just not partake in the thing or participate in the thing. I, I think that for myself, I will tend to make the choice that's most vegan, if you want to use the, the hierarchy. Um, and I will, I, I will tend to deny myself the pleasure or whatever for that. But 
again, I, I live a very privileged life, you know, I mean, another, uh, maybe a more, a more, um, you were talking, we were talking earlier about public health, a better, Mm -hmm. a better public health example is again, until fairly recently condoms, Mm -hmm. Yep. you know, there were literally no vegan condoms available. Now, okay, let's actually get into this because this is something that has only recently come to my attention, like maybe in the last week that, okay, also I would like to preface this with the fact that you should use condoms even, sorry, even if they're not vegan. And yeah, I'm going to advocate for that because if you are having any kind of sex that could cause um, long-term repercussions, your personal health is extremely important and you should... um, be taking care of yourself okay now let's get into the um <laughs> most condoms aren't vegan conversation yeah. um what what's tell me everything i mean well so i i mean again i'm not gonna i'm i'm, I'm using this as an example i i can't tell you all the specific things i can tell you though that you know um some of it has to do with the way that latex is processed some of it has to do with what that is that condoms are not necessarily 100 percent latex like there are other chemicals some some of it's the lubricants or the other chemicals that are put in um, some, some of the objection is, has more, less to do with the materials themselves and more to do with things like animal testing. So like nanoxanol nine, which is a common spermicide we know has been tested with, uh, the, what's the name for the, the test where they pour it in the eyes of small animals, right. To see for toxicity. I don't remember. There's a, there's a name for that test and I always forget what it is. Hang on. Yeah. We're, we're going to stop. Yeah. <laughs> all right we're not, we're gonna, not stop. gonna stop i'm we, not even gonna edit that out yeah there was going in the well we live we live in the real world i live in the city of philadelphia and yeah. it is never quiet in my house <laughs> no that's okay i uh i um one of my hobbies is board gaming and uh, i do some streaming uh, some video streaming on twitch and um inevitably when i'm twitch streaming there's like that's when the dog next door barks. Yep. That's when the, you know, police sirens, you mm-hmm. know, and it's just like, what can you do? It's, it's, it's basically live. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Unfortunately, my studio is not like a soundproof studio. Yeah. It's, Although you do have, you, I thought you directed some of these walls and things, or I wasn't sure if. No, this also doubles as a photo shoot. Oh, studio. Cool. It's a photo studio. Cool. So, um, very cool. Yeah. So there's always, there's like, all kinds of crazy stuff here. Um, but yeah, so yeah. I think I think a lot of it is the testing mm-hmm. as well as the actual what's in the materials themselves. Um, that's my understanding. Mm-hmm. And so and so are you are you saying that um, before there were certified vegan condoms that using these condoms that maybe had ingredients that weren't vegan or that had been tested on animals is would have been like before the the other things were options that that would have been an okay choice to make yeah i mean again i i don't i think it's important for us to make distinctions and say we recognize that this is not vegan but we can still call ourselves vegan because we're not you know we're this is not a willful thing on our part we're not intending to use an animal product and literally we are given no choice. I don't think, you know, using inferior methods of, of, of contraception or exposing yourself to possible disease risk is just so you can claim that you're holier than that veganer than now. Like I, yeah, I, I get, I get, I don't want to be judgmental, but I get frustrated sometimes with veganer than now kinds of arguments. Um, and especially when it comes to, I mean, I, I, I know some people and, and you probably do too, who dumpster dive, you know, mm-hmm. and 
it's like you may dumpster dive and there may be some things in there that are not vegan and or you may dumpster dive out of necessity or you may dumpster dive just as a supplemental you know thing or you may do it ideologically or politically and I, I, I can't again I think we need to acknowledge this is a not vegan product that I have just taken out of the dumpster but am I going to say that it's wrong for you to sort of if you can't afford to eat this thing you know um, yeah I mean the, the idea of economic privilege comes up a lot in in conversations that I am having with people for the show where many of us who are in privileged economic situations are and need to continue to talk about how being vegan is definitely something that you can do more easily the more privilege you have and the more access you have to food and the more access you have to transportation and the more options mm-hmm. you really have mm-hmm. it is a lot easier and it's not and now I'm going to get on my soapbox a little bit but <laughs> it is not okay for us to expect everybody to have the same access and the same time and and energy right this very second and and the same understanding of of the greater issues you know people are dealing with all kinds of things in their daily lives and it is not my job to tell other people what to do with their lives and yeah no and i and and i don't think and i again i I, this is going to sound judgmental but there's no other way to say it like i don't think it's helpful for vegans to police other vegans in that way either i think there's a lot of vegan policing in social media in particular Mm -hmm. and i don't really see the good in it i mean i think we need to be strong i think we need to be firm i don't i don't think it's a good idea i mean i certainly would never advocate going around saying uh this bread is vegan even though it has animal products in it like yes we need to be very clear on what's vegan and what's not vegan but we also need to be as you say we need to understand that someone might make the choice to say i intend to be vegan i'm doing everything i can to be vegan uh, maybe there's a dumpster diving situation. Maybe there's some other kind of situation where, yes, something has an animal product in it and I eat it. Or or maybe, or another example might be something like um, some people get very angry if you become vegan, but you keep all of your leather shoes and boots and things and your belts. I say keep them till they wear out. Like, okay, I'm a vegan. I'm wearing a leather belt. I mean, I'm sorry if someone can't understand that, but... Like I can be, I can say to someone who doesn't know about veganism, I can say, yes, well, my belt is leather. It's not a vegan belt. I'm wearing it now because I already bought it long ago. Damage has been done. I'm not going to buy another leather belt, but for now I'm going to use this leather belt. You know, I think people are reasonable and can understand nuance. I, I agree. I have surprisingly enough, my shoes have been a hot topic of conversation among many people, hmm. whether or not my shoes are leather, but they're not, everybody hot topic wants shoes. to know. Hmm? They're not hot topic shoes. I, man, I wish. <laughs> I don't even know hot topic if only I, of course they do. Okay. I mean, I'm thinking of hot topic shoes from when, back when I was in the hot topic demographic, you know, big pleather platform, thigh high boots and okay. things like that. Okay. No, I can't wear those to work. Unfortunately, I work in an office. Hmm. Um, hmm. Yeah, but but like whether or not my shoes are leather is like a constant conversation that I have. Um, And it is a lot of like, I bought these before I became vegan. It seems wasteful to me to get rid of them simply because they are leather. When they wear out, I will replace them with vegan shoes. 
but it's not, you know, I'm not going to get rid of a perfectly good pair of shoes based on my perfectly serviceable pair of shoes that I purchased five years ago that are going to last me another five years because being wasteful is also a problem. Yeah. Well, and that, that I'm glad you said that because what I was thinking of was also the way that vegan ethics, you know, um, this is fascinating to me the way that, cause to me, veganism is about being ethical and it's not just about the ethics of food, although that's a big part of it, but it's, it's, I mean, when I became vegan, it was primarily for food reasons, for animal rights reasons, for my own personal comfort and all of that. And then I learned, oh, wow, this is really good for the environment. And this mm-hmm. is really good for my health. I mean, if, if veganism were less healthy, I would still be vegan because my primary reason for being vegan is animal rights, ethics, you know, those kinds of things. If veganism were worse for the environment, I would, I don't know. That's a tougher choice. Mm, I don't know. That, is that, a really that would be a choice. tough one. But, but there's these intersections and it makes it, you know, it, it, so one of the things I think about with shoes is, you know, um, again, not that I'm going to go out tomorrow and buy leather shoes, but if I buy, you know, uh, essentially petroleum petroleum shoes which is what a lot of vegan shoes are a lot of uh, fake leather Mm -hmm. or fake leather faux leather is um what's the harm i'm doing in terms of you know the, the 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 carbon cost of that and all of the other things i'm doing as opposed to the harm i mean by the way they're both harms i'm not suggesting that one is oh this excuses whatever buying leather but i don't think it's as simple as always make the choice that's based on this one variable if you want to consider, if you have multiple ethical frameworks that you're trying to to satisfy. Yeah. If you want to look into something, into um, a plastic that is particularly harmful to the people who work with it, look into PVC. Hmm. Um, huge, huge problems with PVC. And that that is primarily what inexpensive non-leather goods are made out of. Um, and it's it, the, the people who work with PVC have incredible lung problems like there's a lot of suffering involved with pvc so yeah um, yeah and people have said that about a lot of things i mean so people have talked about whether it's vegan to um you know whether whether it goes with vegan ethics to sort of engage in all kinds of trades and sort of all kinds of products that where there's human cruelty involved in one way or another, mm-hmm. you know, cause, cause we certainly don't want non-humans to suffer, but sometimes, I mean, if I, if I buy an Apple product, I'm, I'm probably, probably some humans are suffering somewhere to make that Apple product. And again, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not, again, I'm not going to stand up here and be some dogmatic person about these things, but, um, I think when we choose to consider ethics in a lot of our daily decisions, it just, it, it can make our decisions harder. Oh, sometimes. absolutely. And and I wonder how much of that, I mean, maybe that's not really a barrier for a lot of people, but I think for a lot of people having these kind, this is, this is basically just another form of privilege, right? Like if you can think this much about what you're buying mm-hmm. and what you choose to consume, that means that you have the choice, you have the time to think about it, you have the education to be able to understand the complexity of the issues you have, you know, there's so much inherent in that um, that I think is really important as we see the continuation of these conversations about who is vegan and what is vegan and what is okay and are you vegan enough and all of that stuff. Like, we have to keep in mind that, you know, everybody's coming at this from a different place and everybody's 
understanding and ability is different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, that's why, and you know, I, I'm, I, again, I'm, I'm as strong an advocate as anybody for making clear distinctions about what is and isn't vegan and sticking to our guns about those kinds of things. But as you say, I'm also not really a big fan of making people feel bad for making choices that come from either not knowing or from necessity that we, that I might not understand or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of making anybody feel bad at any point. That (laughs) seems counterproductive to basically everything. (laughs) Yeah. Health belief model, trans theoretical model, you know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, we could, we should talk yeah. Total models. Well, I, I, I got a degree from Widener in human sexuality. And oh, so you're all familiar with all that models stuff. are yep. all the same. It's all the same stuff. It's yeah. uh, diffusion of innovation. It's, mm-hmm. you know, all those sorts of a yeah. lot of and a lot of the same things come up. You know, when we talk about like, oh, well, you know, why don't people just use condoms or why don't people just, you know, well, you know, not everyone has access to the same information. Not everyone can There's cultural barriers. Yep. Yep. To all of that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And so, I mean, when we think about a lot of these behaviors and changing these behaviors, I mean, it's it's not as simple as just give some people some information and they'll change. Right. You know? Yeah, it's, it's so much more complicated than that. And I feel like that is a piece of the conversation that often gets lost, that human beings are complicated creatures and we have a lot of things going on in our heads at any one time. Some of us have been able to come to this understanding that being vegan is what puts us in line with our ethics and a lot of people aren't there yet for a whole host of reasons and and I feel based on my personal experience and my professional training that shaming people doesn't get them to make changes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I I hope that that I hope that as we learn more about how to advocate for people to become vegan that we can incorporate some of the knowledge from these other social sciences this is definitely drawing on an interview that will be will have been um put up by the time your interview goes up but but i you know i've recently had conversations that have really got me thinking about that kind of stuff yeah which, no um, that's fascinating i think i think that i think you're i think you're right on the mark and i mean you and i were talking pre-show about sort of abolitionism versus welfareism and i think there's a piece in that too because you know there's a part of me which is the part of me that went vegan overnight that very much is, is sympathetic to the abolitionist idea that you know we need to fight for total abolition like we if we really believe that non-humans should not be considered property if we really believe that non-humans should not suffer like we shouldn't settle for any any suffering you know or, or any um uh continuation of the paradigm that we are already in and we should fight for a total overthrow like there's definitely a part of me that finds that very very attractive and very appealing um but the part of me that also studied all these health models and and I've read the research on a lot of those kind of things also understands and as a, as a sex edu- educator myself you know understands that well and and I'm not only a sex educator I mean I've been teaching English for 20 years I know that my students are not going to walk into my class one day and the next day they can churn out a perfect essay. Like there is a process and you have to get buy-in and you have to, you know, all these other kinds of things. So 
even though I understand the abolitionist argument, and I think it's important to hold fast to this is suffering, this isn't suffering, this is what we feel is right, this isn't what we feel is right, it's also important to acknowledge that most people move more slowly, the world in general moves more slowly, that is frustrating for a lot of us, it's good for us to express that frustration, it's good for us to have communal experiences with other vegans to sort of do that, it's not good for us to tear each other down or necessarily to tear other people down, you know, uh, who I think probably want the same things that we want. You know, I think I think welfareists want the same things that I want. I think they I think they're more willing to accept the way things are right now because they just don't see the change happening fast enough. And they, so I actually think they want the change to happen quickly. I just want, I personally want a bigger change to happen and I'm willing to wait a little while for it, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, it reminds me a lot of the conversation that has been happening around Hillary versus Bernie, right? It's kind of a similar, (laughs) I I see parallels there that like, um, what is, what is the right way to create real change? And, you know, for U.S. listeners, you'll understand that, and maybe a little bit international, I don't know. I'm not going to presume that anybody pays attention to our politics, but I don't know, maybe you do. Um, You know, Bernie Sanders has this, like, take down the banks, totally revolutionize the whole system, and Hillary has taken a much more, you know, we have a system and we need to work within it. Mm -hmm. We need to work with the banks. We need to work with the process and all of that kind of stuff. And, and, And those things really remind me of this argument of like where do you as an individual fall in how much change you can tolerate and how much change how much change you can tolerate and how quickly you want that change to happen and then how quickly do you think it can actually happen mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and and just like there there seems to be for people who see the world and know that it can be better that that there's a whole spectrum of beliefs about how we get that change yeah yeah i mean you know and and again and and it's even dicier when when it's an issue of ethics the way that veganism is a deeply personal ethical issue like veganism for some people you know for some people this is a sort of a this is a a day on well i'll use the deontological right this is a deontological issue this is a an issue of duty this is an issue of our moral obligation i mean peter singer talks about that you know uh, our our moral obligation and for other people it's a utilitarian argument you know uh 900,000 animal suffering is better than a million animal suffering I can understand that. I mean, sure. Utilitarian wise, absolutely. I mean, if you said to me tomorrow, I can press a button and kill 900,000 people or 900,000 sheep or 900,000 cows, or I can press a button and kill a million cows or a million people, of course I'm going to press the first button, (laughs) you know, but I'm probably not going to press either button. So, so, I mean, I, I can also understand the sort of like, I can understand for myself, I can understand the frustration because it's like, this is easy. It's not really that hard to do. I mean, even though we've been talking a lot about how it can be hard to do, it could be easy to do if we had more structures in place to help, right? We can accept the world the way it is, and that's fine, and I think we should on some level, but 
we could also be a little more demanding to maybe help steer the world in that, the direction of... What would that look like, to know. be more demanding? Well, I mean, so I think there are different ways to do it. I think subtle ways of doing it are things like just when you go to restaurants that don't have vegan options, you know, just pointing it out, you know, not necessarily being mean or, or sort of trying, again, you said not shaming them necessarily, but just kind of saying, um, so like, I'm just, I can't eat anything here. So I'm just going to not eat. I'll have some water, you know? (laughs) Right. And just so you know, like there are a lot of people like me and you, if you had one menu item, boy, I'll bet you'd be, you know, I'll bet you'd make a lot of people happier. I don't know if you'd make more money, but you'd sure make a lot of other people happier, you know? Yep. So I, I can think, think of be... I can think of one place in Philadelphia that <laughs> or a place with multiple locations in Philadelphia that has nothing on its menu that is vegan. Yeah. And oh, they yeah. serve a lot of coffee there. Mm. And there are no non-dairy milks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, so I think how part of money, it is just How much money are you losing? <laughs> losing so much money. Yeah, so part of it I think is just like personally, you know, making more people I mean, part of it is just making people aware that we exist. And that we're not unreasonable, but we're also not going to eat chicken if you serve us chicken, you know, like or whatever. <laughs> right. Like, so, you know, we're, we're, we will just not partake of your services or we will go somewhere else or whatever. And that's fine. If that's what you want, that's fine. But maybe you could change things a little. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot, you know, some of it is that and some of it is education. Some of it is advocacy at, at, uh, at the governmental level, you know, trying to get laws changed. Um, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of things like that, you know, trying to get, I think those of us who can certainly afford to, those of us who have the privilege to sort of hold our ground, I think do have some power and I think that we ought to use it. Um, and I do think that change happens that way sometimes. Hopefully, hopefully change happens when people do things to incite that change. One would hope. Yeah. Yeah. I think what I, so I totally get the, you know, the restaurants and and talking to people there and talking to grocers and things like that. What seems to be, and this is showing my bias based on my non-vegan work that I do, Mm -hmm. but working on the, like the system level Mm -hmm. and, and really making systemic changes to the way that we produce food and subsidize various things and the way that our government has set up our agriculture system Mm -hmm. it seems to me to be the the greatest barrier to creating a truly vegan at least u.s i can't speak to other countries Mm -hmm. um and so for me like when i think about how how can i spend my limited time really making change where is it where am i going to be able to maximize my effort or or maximize my impact with the small amount of effort that I can actually achieve based on not being a a full-time vegan activist. To me, it seems like system level. And I just don't even know, like, how do you even lobby against these interests, these agricultural interests? I don't even know. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I think that, I mean, I don't have a good answer, but I'm, but, but the, the, there are ways in which I'm hopeful. And one of the ways in which I'm hopeful is that more and more, certainly of the developed world, um, is understanding the catastrophic consequences of, of climate change 
And and sorry, I always have to throw this in there. And antibiotic resistance is approximately half of antibiotic resistance can be traced back to animal agriculture. Yeah. And so all yeah, I mean, so all of these large issues, I think more and more um, people are starting to understand the link between agriculture and, and, and a lot of these issues. And so and I think that a lot of countries are making changes. And I think that I, I sort of see that there is this long term and maybe, maybe I'm maybe I'm optimistic in this way. I, I can be very idealistic and optimistic sometimes. Really? Yeah. Oh, but interesting. I, <laughs> I've, I've found most vegans are idealistic in some way. Yeah. yeah. I, I just I feel like there's I feel like there is a move toward sort of technological progress and that um, people will come to the. I mean, I'm I'm not the world's greatest capitalist, but I think if I were in business, I would realize the economic benefits of changing a lot of these policies, um, and I would get on board with that. I would think, even for those reasons, even if I didn't care about ethics and I only cared about the economics of it, I think there are economic arguments in favor of uh, plant-based agriculture and and all these practices you're talking about. And then I think there are clearly environmental arguments in favor of these things. And 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 never mind the ethical art, even if we can't make the ethical case. And I think among some people, we can make the ethical case. But even if we can't, we can make these other cases. And I, I think I think it's being heard more and more like I've been I've, I've heard more recently. And I wish I could cite a good example, like a good article or something. But I never heard more recently people being criticized for um for not you know for having these big big environmentalist conferences and not not serving vegetarian food Mm -hmm. or vegan food or you know um there seems to be more signal boosting of that message of you know you say you're 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 against water usage but you're serving beef (laughs) right right there's that's just not a consistent position yeah and i think that more and more a lot of the more a lot of the environmental organizations are starting to see that and they're starting to make changes, um, and so I think that's part of the process for for, for me on the on the, on the um, system level. Yeah. But you're right. It's look. It's like anything else in life. It's it's. I mean, I keep bringing it back to this just because it's it's my new thing. But like as a sexuality educator, it's the same thing. It's like I know a lot about what I can do in a room of twenty students to try to teach them about something. But what do I do about the fact that? a huge percentage of this country is still being uh, going to students are going to schools with abstinence only education. Or what do I do with the fact that there are 90 men and 10 women in the Senate or whatever, you know, like what do I do about the fact that these laws are being passed at the higher level, at the systems level that are undermining everything I'm trying to do? I don't know either. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) My answer for myself is I, I, you know, what is it? Uh, Candide, you know, tend, tend your garden. Like I tend my garden. I can only do what I can do. Right. I can only, you know, I mean, there are people who can march on the streets and, and raise hell and, you know, and that's great. And I love that there are people like that in the world. That's not me, you know? Yep. I, I mean, I, I'm with you on that. Like, I think that's a personality thing on my part, you know, and, and I, I do what I can do. And one of the things I can do is be vegan. Yeah. And that, that. That's the most important thing you can do. 
I really believe it. It's the most you important thing. You think it's thing. the most important the, thing that a person can do? Well, ethically. If, or not even ethically. If you just care like about general. these issues, like if okay. you care about the issues, about the issues we're talking about, mm-hmm. the most important thing you can do is as an individual, you can become vegan. Because that's what we need. We need individuals to become vegan. Right. You, can, you can't compel people to be vegan. You can't really make it government policy that we're all going to be vegan. I mean, you, you kind of can't. <laughs> Could you imagine no. trying to get that back? Right? I mean, what are you going to do? So really the best hope is is for us individually to, to change. And then yeah. if enough of us change, it becomes a norm. And then it becomes a norm. And then people are like, oh, well, that's just a normal thing. And then the more people that it's for them it's a normal thing, the more people think, oh, okay, maybe I could do that too, you know, and... Yeah, I mean, that's that's all I try to do on a daily basis is make it seem as normal and, mm-hmm. like, not weird as possible. But you um, have a podcast. You're, you know, I do. You're signal I do. boosting. I, I, I do my best. I try um, to write, you know, I, I try to write uh, incendiary posts for the Good Men Project, you know. No, I didn't intend we, that as incendiary. I really Okay, didn't. hold on. I don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> but we do need to talk about gender stuff yeah. because that is like your other yeah. piece of so is that that article I take yeah. it as leading into it? Yeah, so I wrote I, I wrote this piece a couple of years ago um about men and meat eating, masculinity and meat eating. Really, and it, and it, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't even have to tell me yeah. what happened. I don't know read the happened. comment section. <laughs> don't read the comment section. But no, but what was interesting was so it, what 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 inspired this, and I don't know if you remember. I don't know if you're at all a sports ball, you know, person. <laughs> um, but there was a there was a commercial that 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 was on a lot during, and I guess I was watching a lot of sports or a lot of football at the time. But there was a commercial that came on. It was a Bud Light commercial, and it was this guy. And he was watching uh, uh, someone flip burgers on a grill. And it came in his narrative. I don't remember every specific detail, but his narrative was basically, what am I doing? Uh, I'm eating uh, quinoa. He intentionally mispronounced Mm. it, right? What is quinoa? I don't even know. But the story was basically that he had eaten his girlfriend had wanted him to be healthier and so she had made him eat a quinoa burger and the day that he ate the quinoa burger his favorite team won and so he continued to eat the quinoa burgers because he believed that you know it would help his team win and the tagline was you know something like anything for the team or you know uh, it doesn't matter if it works you know or i don't know something like that and the implication there were all kinds of implications right number one he's like a henpecked boyfriend uh number two he doesn't care about his health but of course his girlfriend does uh number three it's not manly to know how to say quinoa you know because it's because it's because i think i think if i remember in the commercial and unfortunately it's not even on youtube anymore so i can't even point you to it but if i remember correctly like his friends were all eating meat and like laughing at him and all this kind of stuff um and it was just this absolute caricature of of masculinity and it got me sort of thinking and reading more about it. And then I, I read this, you know, these studies that looked at um, men were perceived, vegetarian men were perceived as less manly, you know, and um, just a lot of, I mean, I've studied ads since I can remember, like I, it's part of my English composition class. I have my students analyze ads, you know, and so I've just, I have a folder back in my office of these ads where the man is grilling meat on the grill 
but the woman's eating a carrot, you right. know, or something like that. And it's not just about weight and body image and all of that, although that's part of it. It's about this idea that as a man, you need meat, you know, you need to eat meat. And I know for myself, I mean, just personal anecdote, which I know is the worst form of evidence, but I'll give it to you anyway. Um, I have absolutely had my masculinity challenged, you know, for being vegan. I've absolutely uh, been teased and made fun of, you know, not in like a horrible run you out of town kind of way. But there's no question in my mind that uh, people perceive men to be less masculine, Um, you know, uh, just little comments, you know, like I'll go to a because because, well, I mentioned before board gaming, which is not the most masculine hobby. But it is a hobby full of men. I was going to say, yeah. it's a pretty big boys club. Yeah, it is. And when I when I point out that I'm vegan, you know, I, inevitably there are comments, uh, you know, about that. And so um, so anyway, so so I sort of went into that. And then and then and then in, in the piece, I also sort of wrote about how, you know, this is sort of doubly or even triply horrible when you think about the fact that so many of the diseases that kill so many men are so closely linked to uh, to meat consumption, to animal product consumption. And then I added another piece which really infuriated everybody even more, which was, you know, Carol Adams' sexual politics of meat sort of argument, you know, because studies have also shown that men who have, uh, men who display the most sexist attitudes also display cruelty toward animals. So if, if, you, if you ask them, like, on a scale, you know, to rate their animal compassion views Mm -hmm. versus their sexism views you'll all you'll find that the more sexist views they have the more animal negative they'll also have you know um no did you realize that this was going to be such a um controversial article i mean look i know that when you invoke carol adams you know you're going to get some blowback like i mean i knew there would be some of that but I don't know. Maybe I, I, this is my idealism. Like I really just thought, and I don't, I wasn't snarky. Like I try when I talk to men and when I talk about men, I try really hard, you know, to avoid being snarky, being judgmental. Um, I don't even like phrases like toxic masculinity. I just don't like, I don't like the implication that masculinity is toxic. You know, I, I don't like to use that kind of language. So I thought I was being reasonable. I certainly cited, you know, some CDC research and some legitimate research. I didn't just cite, you know, vegan sources or or HuffPost or something, which HuffPost is fine. But, you know, um, I didn't expect there to be such a such a vitriolic response. You know, I expected there to be. Sure. I expected I'd get some criticism. But and, and it's and it's always telling because when you criticize masculinity, as a man, one of the main things that happens is you get accused of being less manly. You know, right. it's it's a total I mean, it's a it's a um, through the looking glass in a way, you know. And so what has that because you also are a sex educator, like how how does that experience and kind of like your understanding of meat consumption and its connection with masculinity inform what you do as a sex educator um or does it i don't know i mean it's not yeah i it's tough it doesn't it's hard to make that work i mean it's hard it's hard to really find a place for that i guess what kind of sex ed do you teach 
Well, so I teach uh, right now. I'm teaching a, a human sexuality course, which is a in, in in our in our at our college. It's in the psych department, so it's a psychology course. But it's actually a general human sexuality course. So the course I teach covers everything. It covers re- reproductive anatomy. It covers gender. It covers. Um, sexual orientation it covers um contraception you know everything so i i wouldn't say that i i talk too much about it i mean my students know that i'm vegan i'm out as vegan to my students because it just inevitably comes up somewhere and i do talk about that a little bit and i think when when we talk about gender i'm sure that comes up you know in conversations um i haven't really had too much cause to talk about this but if if I ever do talk about sort of erectile dysfunction, I mean, one of the things you can point out is that a diet high in saturated fat can sometimes lead to heart problems, which can sometimes lead to or is one of the main causes of erectile dysfunction. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think there's a small piece of that um, that 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 has a place in that conversation. I, I won't I won't say that I foreground it, but I'm I think. I may be as political a person as you'll meet outside of the classroom, but I also inside of the classroom, you know, I just have this, I don't really feel that I have to be objective, but I feel that it's not necessarily my goal to, or my role to present only one worldview sort of doctrinally mm-hmm. to students. I'm happy yeah. to, you know, to present my worldview and I'm, I don't lie. I never lie to students and I never dodge questions that students might ask, but I generally couch things in, well, you know, there's some research that shows this and there's some research that shows this other thing. And some people might say this and some people might say that, you know, when things aren't factually hundred percent true, I don't tend to try to editorialize as much. I tend to sort of say, well, here, there's this perspective of thought, or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, sorry, uh, um, multiple perspectives of thought i knew what you meant yeah yeah Yeah. so do you conduct any research like do you write or anything like like i guess i'm I'm trying to find out if you are like working on this in kind of your personal your own academic work um not on veganism not on veganism Uh, i mean it's something it's something i could do you know i mean right now i'm 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 doing a dissertation and I'm, i'm really just this is my first big study and I'm just interested in something else right now, mm-hmm. you know, but I absolutely think that masculinity and meat, you know, is a fertile ground yes. to study. Uh, should I find myself in a tenured position or, you know, if, you know, if there happens to be a yeah, university just, out there who's hiring, hanging on a tree, yep. you know, I'll just reach out. You know, those tenure track positions you know, are really easy yeah. to come by. Yeah. That's what yeah. I hear. Yeah. Especially, you know, gender, you know sexuality studies super well-funded yeah definitely accepted in all academic institutions i'm Mm -hmm. sure yeah i I think that there's there's definitely a lot with there's a lot there with gender and food in general Mm -hmm. um and you know i am not well versed in any of that at all i just have my own again anecdotal experience of what it's like to talk to people about being vegan and the, you know, the manliest men seem to have the biggest problem with it. Mm-hmm. And, and that it's not surprising in the slightest, but it is kind of disheartening. 
that that there is there does seem to be such a clear connection between kind of that like very masculine persona and being very into meat mm-hmm. well yeah and i think i mean i think i i can I can, I can give you just off the top of my head two or three reasons why i think that is um one of them is that uh you know I'm thinking of this. I don't. This is it's a tangent, but there's a scale that measures gender role uh, adherence for men. It's the G, the GRCS, gender role conflict scale, uh, and it has various dimensions. And one of them is restricted emotionality. So one of the things I think that's happening is if you say to a, a very masculine identified man, well, but have you thought about you know how cruel it is to an animal to be tortured and killed, and have you thought about you know all that? not only will they not want to admit to having thought about that because it's not masculine to spend a lot of time thinking about your emotions, but then there's the second element of that, which is um, I'm supposed to be tough. I'm supposed to be someone who can go to war or go to the factory and like work or go do the dirty work of of humanity or whatever. I'm supposed to be able to do that and then come back as a tough man. And so to admit that you're thinking about the, the 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 animal behind your the meat that you're eating i mean that's just you right there you're sliding down the masculinity scale just by admitting that right so that's one thing second thing is um it's masculine to sort of it's it's not masculine to engage in helps health seeking or help seeking behaviors so this is a problem that we have when talking to men about sexual sexuality and other health issues is that we first have to get over the hurdle that men just don't think about their health that much. And so to care about the burger that you're eating, you know, to care about saturated fat, it's just not manly. I'm just supposed to go on and be a man. And if I have a heart attack, I'll deal with it like a man, you know, <laughs> God. you know, I mean, you know, and so, so I think there's all, there's all of those dimensions and then there are just the cultural stereotypes of vegetarianism and veganism as being whip thing that whip things that women do. And the worst thing you can be is, is a woman if you're a masculine man. Oh, uh, let me tell you. So, yeah. So it, I think it's a, it's a really big hurdle because a lot of men are, uh, oh, sorry. There's one other thing, which is then there's there there's also the sort of you have to be physically tough and strong and 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 big, you know, and mm-hmm. muscular. And the misconceptions that we've all been taught because by the meat and dairy industry that you know calcium uh, milk is good for your bones and all of that, and meat is has lots of protein and gains. You know, yeah, all the gains. Yeah, that's yeah. like a big. And so lean meat, you know, and and, and by the way, it's not just men. I mean, read any women's fitness magazine. Oh, yep. You know, any any women's magazine that's talking specifically about uh, any issue related to weight or 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 exercise or anything like that. And it's always going to be lean chicken, lean turkey, salmon, yogurt, Greek yogurt. Absolutely. Have you been in the yogurt aisle recently? I had to go. I had to get some cashew milk. Mm hmm. My lord. It's all Greek? It's all, it's just like shelf after shelf after shelf of Greek yogurt. Wow. This didn't exist 10 years ago. Yeah. People were not this obsessed with yogurt. Because what is it? Is it Greek yogurt has more protein It has or a lot of protein okay. in it and like no fat. So, yep. and, and women are like into Greek yogurt. Oh, and it's being marketed to men. I've seen it in some men's magazines. Yeah, there's, now there's like, <laughs> there's like 
yogurt in like black containers like yeah. like man's yo- like men yogurt yeah yogurt oh. for men yeah yes. yeah 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 so i mean again we're facing all these things and and you know these social scripts and these sort of you know um um long standing beliefs about what it is to be a man and those things don't go away overnight they really don't you know i think the only thing you can do as i said is you can be like I, again, I, I try to lead by example, you know, I've worked out three, well, f- yeah, three to five times a week for my adult life, mm-hmm. you know, and I think I'm okay on protein. Like I, <laughs> I can build muscle mass, you know, I, I'm not falling apart. Your you doctor know? is not worried about my you. My bones seem to be fine. I've never broken one. There you, know? you go. I, I, I haven't had a bone scan lately, but I'm pretty sure I'm okay. But um, nobody's concerned that you need a bone scan and that's... My doctors aren't, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's what matters. Yeah, it, it, these ideas of masculinity seem like they've been around for a long time. And we're definitely going back to how do you change the world around you and how do you change individuals? It's not going to happen overnight. We're talking about thousands and thousands of years of understanding what it is to be a man. And, and we're not just you know, going to be able to run some ads and write some cookbooks and have everything all of a sudden be totally different. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But we can at least try yeah. some stuff. Yeah. I mean, every, you know, I, I don't, I don't try to evangelize, but I definitely, I have the luxury and the privilege of living, of being out in any of the ways in which I diverge from the norms in my life, you know? And so I try to be out as often as possible in as many ways as possible. And, you know, um, and I, I do that in part just because I want people to understand that there are the, there are other people who are like whatever that thing is mm-hmm. and they're happy and they're doing fine and they, you know, they don't need any help. They don't need any special treatment. They don't, you know, they don't really need anything, <laughs> but they're there and you need to know it. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's great that you are more than happy to kind of put yourself out there as an example. Hmm. And th- and that's like not necessarily something that everybody is comfortable doing. So it's really cool. Well, you know, I'm powered by Tokyo. I was going to make so, a reference. You do yeah. have a cool t-shirt on. I don't know how <laughs> you are wearing a hoodie and I'm like yeah. dying in here because you can't run an air conditioner or a fan yeah, while you're recording. I didn't, well, it wasn't, it didn't seem so warm when we started, <laughs> you know, so. Yeah. Well, thank you. This has been a really wonderful conversation. Um, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you or have a conversation with you, like oh what, what's the best way for yeah, you to do that? I mean, I, well, just personally, people can find me on Facebook. I mean, I have a lot of, I have a lot of friends. Somebody just friend requested me this morning. You have a lot of friends. Who's Look at f- you. Well, no, sorry. <laughs> Jeez, that, that sounds terrible. No, Jesus. what I was going, the, the second part of that clause was, um, I have a lot of friends on Facebook who are people I haven't met. Who mm-hmm. are uh, who I I consider sort of affinity friends, right? So I have a lot of vegan friends who are who live in Australia or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm only friends with them because they're vegan, yeah. Or I'm only friends with them because they're atheists or whatever, you know. And so like people can certainly just out of the blue, 
find me on Facebook and just send me a friend request and chances are I'll, you know, I'll say yes, especially if I have a mutual friend <laughs> of some sort. And if you're not a bot who sells jeans or yeah, sunglasses. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. And, but I'll find that out and then I'll unfriend. That's you know, true. No big so deal. bots stay away. Well, the, so the day, the day that this podcast drops, I'll just, if I'm, I'll, if I'm seeing a lot of Facebook requests, I'll just assume these are the Tegan, yes. you know, Tegan goes vegan fan club. Um, and then I, I mean, this isn't really vegan related in particular, but I do sometimes talk about these issues on talk like a man. So talk like a man is my sort of social media project about masculinity. Again, there's a face, probably Facebook is the first place to start with that. I have a couple of other things. There's a Tumblr and some other stuff, but, um, that's, that's a good place for people to find me more in my professional capacity. Whereas, you know, personally, they could just find me on, uh, yeah, Facebook's probably the best place. Cool. That's great. Well, thanks for coming and being in my hot studio with me. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. The fourth annual Philadelphia Podcast Festival is happening this year on August 19th through 28th. More than 30 of Philly's premier podcasts will record free live shows at Tattooed Mom, Amalgam Comics and Coffee House, and other venues across the city. Check out the full schedule and learn about our sponsors and partners at phillypodfest.com and on Facebook and Twitter. See you at the festival! Tegan Goes Vegan is found at tegangoesvegan.com, on Twitter at tegangoesvegan, on Pinterest at tegangoesvegan. The show is produced by Tegan and Nathan Karuna, with music by Amanda D'Amato. If you enjoyed the show, please consider giving it a rating or a review on iTunes. It helps other people find the show more easily. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be back soon with more great vegan conversations.